Welcome to the Reform Rookie Podcast. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so? Worthy vicar, do we find anything here of relics? By faith man lives and is made righteous, not by what he does for himself. Be it adoration of relics, singing of masses, pilgrimages to Rome, purchase of pardon for his sins, but by faith in what God has done for him already through his son. Dr. Martin, if you leave the Christian to live only by faith, if you sweep away all good works, all these glorious things you dismiss as mere crutches, what will you put in their place? Christ. Man only needs Jesus Christ. In this episode, Anthony Uvinio, Ryan Galan, and Eli Ayala are interviewed about their upcoming apologetics conference in Islip, New York. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get more information about upcoming conferences and more great information about Reformed Theology. Thanks, and Semper Reformanda. Cumberland County, Pennsylvania, Lake City, Florida, and the rest of humanity living on the planet Earth who are listening via live streaming at ironsharpensironradio.com. This is Chris Arnzen, your host of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, wishing you all a happy Thursday on this 14th day of November 2019. And we've got three guests on the program today. Uh, two will be joining us during the first hour, and uh, one of those guests in the first hour will stay through the second hour, but we also have a third uh, joining us the second hour. That's real complicated, isn't it? <laughs> We've got today... Radio Rapture. <laughs> We've got on the show today Anthony Uvinio, co-founder of New York Apologetics and co-host of The Reformed Rookie. We've also got Eli Ayala, who is the apologist on staff at Historical Bible Society. And then coming up uh, in the second hour... Uh, Anthony uh, Uvinio, unfortunately, has to depart from us after the first hour, but Eli is remaining with us, and joining Eli will be Ryan Galan, and they are going to be all discussing during the two-hour broadcast, building upon the rock, developing a Christ-centered defense, and also the conference by that same name and theme that will take place this Saturday, November 16th, at the Presbyterian Church of Islip. But it's my honor and privilege to welcome you both back to Iron Trumpet Zion Radio, Anthony Uvinio and Eli Ayala. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to come on again. And I, uh, I am absolutely, yeah, absolutely excited to be back. Yes, and uh, just to let our listeners know, uh, I was uh, just thoroughly blessed and edified and blown out of my socks uh, when I attended the recent conference uh, being hosted by the Spurgeon Fellowship, or the Long Island Spurgeon Fellowship, I should say, at Hope Reform Baptist Church in Quorum, Long Island, New York. Uh, that was, I believe, about two weekends ago. And it was just an astronomical time, uh, not only because of the wonderful fellowship I had with with uh, old friends and new acquaintances, but also because of the teaching and preaching that took place at this conference, and in particular the messages that were delivered by my guests today, Anthony Uvinio and, and Eli Ayala. They were absolutely uh, spectacular, and I'm not saying this just because they're my guests. I could have 
easily not brought it up if I was embarrassed and horrified by what they did <laughs> or bored <laughs> or bored uh but i was was neither of those uh I was just absolutely blessed even more than I had expected because I had never heard Eli first of all give a, a full length message before. And I don't believe I had ever heard Anthony give a full-length message specifically on a tenet of Calvinism or Reformed theology. So uh, I was very pleasantly uh, surprised and blessed. Uh, not that I doubted your mental capabilities before that, but I was just... <laughs> I, I was just... Uh, I better stop talking before I actually get myself in trouble, but I'm, I'm actually trying... <laughs> I'm trying to compliment you both of you in a very truthful way, because I was absolutely blown away and i'll leave it at that and i highly recommend anytime you may hear of an event where either anthony uvinio or eli ayala are speaking preaching or teaching uh, i highly urge you to take advantage of the opportunity to hear them if at all possible well first of all before we go into the message today uh, i'll allow anthony to give a brief description of new york apologetics and the reformed rookie Sure, New York Apologetics is an organization uh, uh, headed by me and Nick Mitchell on Long Island where we go into churches, colleges, high schools, uh, and teach people uh, arguments for the existence of God. And we try to promote a Christian worldview and show that it can uh, stand up in the marketplace of ideas. You know, we're standing on the truth, and we need to educate our children um, and edify them so that they're confident to open their mouths uh, and speak the truth in love, of course. Uh, but most uh, most people today don't have a good understanding of what Christianity is, nor how to uh, explain a Christian worldview. So Nick and I, uh, we do great work on, on the island. Things are really starting to happen uh, down here. I'm real excited. We have a uh, uh, New York Apologetics Long Island chapter meeting now, uh, the third Tuesday of every month at Full Gospel Assembly in West Islip. And if you go to our website, which is www.newyorkapologetics.com. On the top, you'll see a little uh, radio button that says uh, Long Island Chapter. You can click on that, and anybody who's interested in apologetics can come down, learn uh, what the person is going to be teaching for that evening, uh, and then also potentially host a debate or uh, get trained up themselves to become apologists. Uh, we want to turn Long Island right side up for the Lord, so everyone's welcome, and if they come down, they'll, they'll hear some, some good stuff. And on the second level, um, I also started something called the ReformRookie.com uh, because I want to introduce Reform theology uh, to people who maybe never heard of it or are just dabbling, getting their feet wet in something like that, even for children, uh, to start understanding the doctrines of grace at an early age. Uh, I put up the full Keech's Catechism on the website with videos, uh, 10 questions at a time that you can watch and listen to with your children or in your car. Um, so it, it's been really, it's been going really well. It's kind of like an outgrowth of Hope Reformed Baptist Church because the guys there and Pastor Jensen all contribute to it, uh, whether it be blog articles or podcasts or uh, even the videos that we did for the Doctrines of Grace Conference. I just want it to be a resource for people who are contemplating Reformed theology and just to get their feet wet and start them off at a beginner's level. That's why it's the Reformed Rookie. By the way, you had invited me, and we never uh, materialized it. Uh, you had invited me to speak on the Reformed Rookie on Limited Atonement. 
Uh, I don't know if that's... Yes, I, yes, I did. Uh, well, I just know right now that I will never speak on that subject again after hearing Eli Ayala speak on that. <laughs> I, could never, I could never follow that. So <laughs> we're going to have to come up with a different topic. Well, I, I, I tell you what, you can speak on total depravity and you can wear that tie that you wore to the... <laughs> <laughs> it seems that I am the only person with good taste on the planet Earth. <laughs> oh, you got me. All right. <laughs> I, I don't know if I told you, but when you were speaking on total depravity at the conference, uh, Doug Totter, one of my former pastors at Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Merrick, Long Island, he was sitting next to me, and he leaned over to me while you were speaking, and he said, what does that guy have to preach his sermon for? They should just put your picture up on the big screen. <laughs> and I realized more than ever that I can always count on Doug Totter for a word of encouragement. But anyway. <laughs> uh, and folks, if you, uh, I hope to repeat this information later, but if you want more information on uh, the New York Apologetics Ministry or the Reformed Ricky, Rookie, Ricky, <laughs> the reformed rookie. Uh, I think I've been watching, uh, I love Lucy too much. Um, the, the, uh, the New York Apologetics website is newyorkapologetics.com and that is spelled out New York, not, not NY, but the two words, newyorkapologetics.com and reformed rookie is reformedrookie.com and, uh, that's reformed rookie dot com and rookies r o o k i e and now Eli Ayala tell us something about the historical Bible Society where you serve on the team there as an apologist and uh, this is a ministry that not only sponsors Iron Sharpens Iron Radio but uh, uh, Dan Betafuco who has founded this organization the historical Bible Society attorney at law has been a long time friend, one of my oldest Christian friends since uh, my coming to Christ in the late 1980s. Dan became a friend of mine in about 1991 when he became uh, my largest advertising client when I was still an account executive at the Salem Media Affiliate in New York, WMCA, 570 AM, and he remained my largest client there for 15 years, and the the best thing that came out of that was a, a very strong friendship and edifying relationship, and we uh, love to uh, discuss theology and, in fact, even sometimes argue over it. I, I fully and vividly remember how I was used of the Lord to lead Dan Buttafuoco to the doctrines of sovereign grace. <clears throat> he, uh, I gave him... Uh, a book, uh, Grace Unknown by R.C. Sproul, uh, that which it was, which is under another title today. I think it might be just under What is Reformed Theology or something like that. But at the time it was Grace Unknown. I gave it to him in the mid nineties, uh, for a Christmas present. And he looked at me after handing him the book and he said, Are you kidding me? You're giving me propaganda as a Christmas gift? You're unbelievable. I can't believe you'd give me propaganda as a Christmas gift. You and your Calvinism, all right, thank you. And then he called me up on New Year's Day about, I don't know, 8 in the morning. He said, he said Chris, I, I haven't been to sleep. I've read this book from cover to cover. I believe every word of it. <laughs> you, you, you win. You win. I'm a Calvinist. 
But anyway, uh, that was a very long introduction. Tell us about the Historical Bible Society. Uh, yeah, I work for the Historical Bible Society as an apologist. I write for the apologetics, uh, the 10-minute apologetics blog. So if people visit the historicalbiblesociety.org. On the top right, there's a drop-down menu that says Take 10. Um, and I write apologetics blogs that should take you around 10 minutes to read. I'm not the only contributor there, but I am the uh, primary contributor. I've contributed uh, most of the articles, and they're usually as a result of various questions that people ask me and things like that. So um, that's what I do. I often uh, help out also when Dan has an event. Um, the Historical Bible Society is kind of like a traveling uh, Bible museum. He has a, an amazing collection of uh, biblical manuscripts and, and old Bibles and things like that, and he uh, goes around from uh, church to church uh, giving presentations on the reliability of the Bible. And it's uh, quite fascinating to be able to do that while having um, you know, these Bibles, these really old museum-quality uh, material as he's going through that. So um, I really appreciate Dan, as, as Chris has just expressed. He's a, a great guy, and um, uh, I've, it's been a pleasure working for him. I also um, am the founder of Revealed Apologetics, which is an apologetic ministry that I started, which tries to uh, emphasize apologetics in general and presuppositional apologetics in particular. So uh, Revealed Apologetics is called Revealed Apologetics because the command to defend the faith, I believe, is a revealed command. It's found in Scripture, and so every Christian should be engaging in it. And as a biblical discipline, I believe that there is a biblical fashion in which we are to defend the faith. And so I promote presuppositional apologetics as I find it to be the biblical way to defend the faith by staying uh, committed to the foundation of the Word of God as our ultimate authority and uh, putting Christ at the uh, forefront of our proclamation and defense, I think, is a very important part of, of doing all that. So if people are interested in that sort of stuff, um, they can look me up on Facebook, Revealed Apologetics. I have videos up there that's usually either teaching or in response to questions that are asked. And if they are um, avid podcast listeners, I have a, a podcast on iTunes called Revealed Apologetics, and people can literally email me their questions at revealedapologetics at gmail.com, and I'll do an entire um, podcast episode covering their question. I really like to take uh, what people are thinking about and kind of talk about them and give them a resource that they can kind of put those things into a proper context. So uh, that's Revealed Apologetics and Historical Bible Society, and that's kind of what I do. Great. And the website for the Historical Bible Society is historicalbiblesociety.org, historicalbiblesociety.org. To be discussing the uh, the conference that's coming up. That's uh, this Saturday, November sixteenth, at uh, the Presbyterian Church of Islip, New York, and uh, that's uh, going to be held at uh, nine a.m. to two p.m. Uh, if you could tell us, we'll start with Anthony. Uh, tell us about this theme, uh, building upon the rock. Right, it's a conference basically about foundation. Uh, when we talk uh, about worldviews, every worldview needs a foundation to stand upon. Uh, and we believe, obviously, that the Christian worldview provides a foundation uh, that uh, defeats all others. All others are intelligible, unintelligible, uh, when compared to the Christian worldview. So we, we look to show people what we're standing on as the foundation of our faith, and then uh, expose competing worldviews 
to our work, compare competing worldviews to, to our worldview and show them that what they're standing on will not be able to hold them up in the end. Uh, in other words, let, let's say, for argument's sake, a, a naturalist materialist who all they believe that exists is uh, has to be uh, something that they see, touch, wear, feel. It has to be something uh, made of atoms or material. Well, when they make truth claims, they're using the immaterial laws of logic to make those truth claims. So while they deny immaterial realities, they need to use them in order to make truth claims. So we want to show them that they're not consistent in their worldview, and we do an internal critique of it, and it's not just that worldview, it's any other worldview that, that uh, competes against Christianity, to show them how uh, they're arbitrary, inconsistent, and cannot provide the preconditions of intelligibility. So the foundation you stand on uh, is of the utmost importance and we believe, based on the scriptures, that once we stand upon the rock, which is uh, the Christian worldview uh, and the scriptures and, and Christ, that we can make sense of the world and actually be able to know things with certainty. And I'm sure Eli would like to chime in at this point. Eli? Uh, yeah, when we're do- yeah, when we're dealing with, uh, you know, building upon the rock um, as a, an apologetic theme, um, it really is just highlighting for the Christian, what is the grounds, or what are the grounds, or what is the foundation that we are to stand on when defending the faith? Because it's very popular for people to concede ground to the unbeliever. A lot of Christians are intimidated by the standards of the world, right? You know, the unbeliever will say, prove to me God exists, and, and for some reason we're, we're automatically committed to some sort of scientific methodology that meets the unbeliever's standards, you know? Um, and then we kind of succumb to the standards that are imposed upon us by the unbelievers. Um, but to stand on the rock is to uncompromisingly stand upon the firm foundation of God's Word, which is where we get the Christian worldview from, that intellectual framework with which we understand and interpret reality. And that when we stand within that framework, we can fearlessly and uncompromisingly defend the faith and, as Anthony said, refute all naysayers showing that only upon a particular kind of foundation, namely the Word of God, can anyone make sense out of anything. Um, And so, uh, really, this conference is going to highlight a biblical way of doing apologetics, right? Because uh, there are a lot of people who are doing apologetics, which is itself a biblical mandate, 1 Peter 3.15, Jude chapter 1, verse 3, uh, where where he says that he uh, found it necessary that he contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered. People are engaging in the biblical discipline, but they are engaging in the biblical discipline unbiblically many times, is that we are defending the faith, but we are standing upon a foundation that is not Christ, because we put other standards over Christ, say perhaps the standard of scientific investigation. You have people who say, you know, unless you scientifically prove something, then you really don't know it, because all knowledge comes through scientific proof. And so for that person, the rock upon which they're standing on is a scientific methodology. But for the Christian, we are not to be enslaved to a methodology and a foundation that is not itself grounded in God. And so while standing on the worldview of the Bible, we can put it over to the unbeliever and show that their foundation really is no foundation at all. Let's take that exa- let's take the example I just used there for a moment. Um, if the uh, foundation of the unbeliever is a scientific methodology, he takes the position, say, that, that says that all knowledge comes through scientific proof. All we need to do 
uh, to show the absurdity of that position is to ask him what scientific proof did he use to come to that conclusion, namely that he can only know things that are scientifically proven. You see the problem? If he doesn't, if he knew, if he knows that not by a scientific methodology, then he's refuted himself since he says we can only know things through scientific proof. You see, it's a self-refuting position. And so the foundation, which kind of has the guise of science and, and you know, intellectual prestige, is really a self-refuting position. So you're, you're so saying, you're saying, just to, just to repeat, you're saying that to claim we can only know something by scientific proof is a statement in and of itself that cannot be proven scientifically. That's what you're saying. That's right. So in other words, if that statement is true, we could only know things through scientific proof. If that's true, then it's false, because they did not come to know that through a scientific proof. That's just like and the claim of that's just like the claim of liberals uh, that there is no absolute truth. And you say to them, "Do you know that for certain?" Yes. Well, how can you if there is no such thing as absolute truth? That's right. In, in philosophical discourse, that's called a self-referentially false statement. If it's true, then by definition, it's false. It's kind of equivalent to saying. I only know two words in English. Well, if that statement's true, it's false, because I use more than two words to tell you. And uh, just to wrap my little comment, my a few comments up, the point of that is not just to play an intellectual game, but it is to show that while the Christian can consistently stand on the firm foundation of the worldview given to us in Scripture, we can easily poke holes and show the intellectual futility of that particular brand of unbelief, showing that there is no foundation there. And so we need to be careful that when we teach Christians to defend the faith, that we are not adopting those foundations that crumble upon deeper, uh, you know, deeper criticism. And so we want to encourage people that if you stand on the firm rock of God's word, there is no crumbling. We have a foundation. The, the biblical worldview accounts for everything in human experience, and it does so sufficiently, cogently, and in a way that refutes all naysayers. Now, that is the essence of... Uh, presuppositionalism, isn't it? All of what you just basically summarized? Yeah, the uh, the essence of presuppositionalism is summarized. I remember listening to a lecture by Greg Bonson, who is a, one of the best students of Cornelius Van Til, who's considered the father of presuppositional apologetics. He says, um, if someone calls you in the middle of the night and says, you know, what is the essence of Van Til? I must know. And he says, well, if you have to give a quick answer that summarizes everything, uh, his answer, uh, your answer should be, that anti-theism presupposes theism. Anti-theism presupposes theism. That is to say that because it is true that God is the foundation of all things, even attempts to refute the Christian worldview must assume the Christian worldview to do so. Now, that's an audacious claim, and I understand that by stating that, it doesn't demonstrate it. But the point of the apologist is to be able to uh, make good on that claim by interacting with the unbeliever and doing uh, you know, doing apologetics, doing worldview critiques, and and uh, things like that. So that's how you summarize really the essence of what presuppositional apologetics is about. Yes, and uh, one of the things that I think is a primary benefit of presuppositional apologetics is that it can and should prevent those with whom you're speaking, those uh, skeptics with whom you're speaking. Uh, it prevents them, or at least it should, uh, from going on rabbit trails and demanding that you prove beyond all doubt uh, everything that you are uh, telling them. Because uh, we know 
from Romans 1 that everyone from birth knows that God exists and knows that they are a sinner, but they suppress those truths. We don't have to prove the existence of God. We don't have to prove the inerrancy of the Bible. These things are true, and we don't have to spend... Uh, we don't have to have our, our discussions dominated by efforts to prove those things when it is only God and his sovereignty that can open up the eyes uh, and ears and change the hearts of those with whom we speak to believe those things are true. Obviously, he uses us as vessels to evangelize them, to teach the truth, to declare it, but we don't have to prove a long list of things that our critic friends demand that we prove to them, right? Right, but we can do, we can do one better in that although we don't have to prove God's existence, we can prove God's existence, and I think we should, but not in the sense that we appeal to something external to God that stands over God, that validates God. There are, there are ways to prove God's existence, and it is necessary to do so in various contexts, but we do not succumb to the standards of the unbeliever. For the Christian, God is not a conclusion to an argument. Rather, he's the precondition for the intelligibility of argument itself. Now, again, I know that's a claim, and that needs to be backed up, but that's, that's what the conversation will then be about, right? And this allows, positing God as the, the bedrock foundation, really... Uh, it's an audacious claim. Without God, you can't know anything. Well, I know a bunch of things. Well, let's talk about it. It really gives the unbeliever no way to escape. And it doesn't give, it doesn't give the unbeliever an opportunity to hide his hand. Many skeptics that I've, that I've discussed and debated issues with, they very rarely tell you their own position. Because if they tell you their position, then they have something to defend. It's much easier to just attack the other perspective. But the nature of the presuppositional argument, the very nature of it, is that in order to respond to the argument, you must lay out your worldview. And that's why the argument goes something like this, that the proof for the truth of the Christian worldview is that if it were not true, you couldn't prove anything at all. Now, that audacious claim usually uh, uh, causes the unbeliever to say, well, that's, that's ridiculous, I can prove all sorts of things. And then that's where we're going to get into the foundations, really. Show me what you can prove, given the truth of what you say about the world. And, you know, we'd apply kind of what, Anthony said at the beginning, where, uh, you know, people um, appeal to things like the laws of logic, but how do the laws of logic, which are immaterial, invariant, and unchanging, work in, say, a worldview in which the person says that all that exists is matter and motion? How do you get things like conceptual laws in a world that's purely physical? So, again, you, there's an example of that suppression you mentioned in Romans 1, where the unbeliever actually has to suppress the truth about God and borrow from the Christian worldview in order to uh, fight against it, and so that's what the presuppositional method tries uh, tries to do. Yeah, every uh, time comparison and showing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And, and well, do we do worldview comparison and showing that the Christian worldview really is the only perspective that can make sense out of human experience? Yeah, every time you hear uh, an enemy of Christ, an atheist, an agnostic, uh, claim that something is evil. They are borrowing from their from our Christian worldview. It was uh, fascinating. Right. It was fascinating uh, when I orchestrated a debate years ago between Dr. James R. White and Alpha and Omega Ministries and David Silverman, who was at the time the president of American Atheists, the organization started by Mar Madeline Murray O'Hare in the I believe the sixties. Uh, 
David Silverman's thesis was that the New Testament is evil, and uh, he he at one point during the cross examinations got backed into a corner by James White because James forced him to admit because of the fact it was clear that an atheist really has no grounds upon which to define evil and good. Uh, Silverman basically said, well, evil and good are determined by whatever the majority of people believe in any particular geographic area on the planet during any particular era of time. And uh, so he said, well, are you saying then that if you were being marched through the gates of a Nazi death camp during World War II, the, the most uh, alarming thing that you could say in protest to this is, I find this personally offensive. <laughs> you, you, couldn't, you couldn't say this is evil. You couldn't say it's wrong. And he agreed to that. And keep in mind, David Silverman is a Jewish atheist, an ethnically Jewish atheist. <clears throat> but I was very glad that the, the Lord, uh, sovereignly in his providence, was, uh, used uh, James to back Mr. Silverman in a, in a corner to admit that, because I don't believe he ever would have voluntarily <laughs> used those words himself. Right. Right. I think Dr. White did an excellent job exposing uh, his inconsistency there. Yeah. Uh, when we come back from our first break, I just want to briefly uh, have you uh, differentiate between presuppositionalism and evidentialism, because I do have heroes who are evidentialists as well. The late R.C. Sproul and the late John Gerstner were evidentialists. I don't believe they are now, <laughs> but they <laughs> but they they even wrote a book together defending evidentialism. But but uh, we're going to be going to our first break right now. If you would like to join us on the air with a question of your own, uh, please send an email to chrisarnson at gmail.com. chrisarnson at gmail.com. And please give us your first name at least, your city and state of residence, your uh, country of residence if you live outside the USA. And uh, please only remain anonymous if your question involves a personal and private matter. Uh, once again, that is uh, chrisarnzen at gmail.com, C-H-R-I-S-A-R-N-Z-E-N at gmail.com. And don't go away. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. We're now back with our guests, uh, Anthony Uvinio of New York Apologetics and also Eli Ayala, of the Historical Bible Society and Revealed Apologetics. If you'd like to join us on the air with a question, our email address is chrisarnzen at gmail.com, C-H-R-I-S-A-R-N-Z-E-N at gmail.com. And I just want a quick mention to you, Eli, that I had a wonderful time of fellowship recently with Pastor Bill Shishko uh, of The Haven in Deer Park, Long Island, New York, formerly of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Franklin Square, where he served uh, as the, their, their pastor for decades, but uh, he wanted me to personally send to you his greetings because uh, we were having a discussion after that conference that you were involved in, ah. and uh, he, I told him how wonderfully blessed I was by that conference and mentioned you specifically to him, and he lit up like a Christmas tree and had some very high regard <laughs> guards to send you. Uh, but uh, I, you, I really appreciate that. Yeah, well, uh, before the break, I wanted you to just in a summary form, 
give us some reasons that presuppositional apologetics is unique in the when contrasted against the backdrop of of evidentialism, which some great men of God and great heroes of mine have used as their apologetic method and philosophy. But if you could tell us the difference. Are you, are you asking me or Anthony? I, I don't want to... I'm asking both of you, but, but, but I was asking you to start because before the break you were stressing presupposition. Uh, okay. Um, well, if I could just summarize a very quick definition of classical apologetics so people know uh, what the methodology is since I've, we've already kind of explored what the presuppositional methodology is. Classical apologetics is classical in the sense that it is the traditional um, method used throughout church history, and it is a two-step approach to defending Christian theism. Um, its first step is to establish a general theism through the use of what's called the traditional theistic proofs um, for God's existence, and that um, those are usually represented by arguments like the cosmological argument, the teleological argument, the argument from design, um, the moral argument, uh, the argument from religious experience, all these sorts of things that try to establish the existence of kind of a bare theism. And then the second approach, or the second step of the classical method is to narrow the scope that once you've demonstrated that there is a God, you narrow the scope to Christianity by uh, defending the historical evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. And I think, the, if I can just summarize real quick the difference, um, and both methodologies, presuppositional and classical, have, uh, you know, strong aspects to them, of course, me thinking that the presuppositional method is better method. The, the difference, in short, just a real quick difference, is that the classical method argues for the probability of God's existence. And based on these arguments, God most likely exists. He probably exists, and it's more rational to believe that he exists. While the presuppositional methodology tries to show that God exists with certainty, so certain that if God did not exist, rational argumentation would be impossible. Amen. Amen. And uh, Anthony Uvino, um, one of the tenets of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is that uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Doesn't apologetics mm -hmm. make us actually, I mean, perhaps not everyone, Sure, it sure uh, has with me, made me enjoy my faith more, enjoy things that would normally be perhaps purely a an exercise in discomfort and anguish and getting your blood pressure uh, raising to a, a, a dangerous level uh, when you're interacting with people who reject what you believe. I have come to a point in my life, I'm not saying that those things that I just mentioned, never occur in my life. They do very often. But I can say that I have come to enjoy uh, the the struggle. The I've come to enjoy the battle, if you will, when I am trying my best, by the grace of God, to explain and defend Christian truth with those that oppose it. It is uh, no longer uh, a intellectually intimidating thing, or at least not as much as it used to be. Uh, and it is actually something that gives me joy. Tell us about yourself. Obviously, you've you've taken up this as a primary thing in your life, apologetics, and have uh, actually started a ministry dedicated to it. So tell us about that aspect of it. Is it doesn't it make life more fun? <laughs> uh, certainly, it, it, 
Yeah, go ahead, Anthony. I thought I thought he was asking. Go ahead. You know, you're hogging up the conversation again, Anthony. <laughs> 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 Listen, just for those of you who are listening, Eli presupposed that Chris was talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But if we listen to the, the recording, the evidence will show that I asked Anthony the question. <laughs> um, there's something uh, deeply satisfying about doing Christian apologetics because apologetics is, is not just uh, a venture into uh, book knowledge or uh, formulas uh, or propositions. It is, it is due to a person uh, who is God. Uh, in the in the person of Jesus who saved you, so you recognize that this is uh, you're in a love relationship with God who's rescued you from your sin, and now you you're actually working for your Father in heaven, which number one will bring you eternal reward, uh, which is unbelievable, uh, and saving you from perdition, um, and it's it's deeply satisfying because now you know the foundation upon which you stand. And you can you can actually see and understand things for what they truly are. Um, there's another apologist uh, who says that there's three things that you have: you have reality, you have truth, and you have belief. And truth is the way things really are, right? Belief is the way I think things are, and reality is when your belief lines up with the truth. So when you're in Christ and you understand uh, that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Him. It's an unending treasure chest of beautiful things that you see in this world that God has created. And not only do you understand them, but you know the, the, the God who created them. So it is deeply, deeply satisfying, deeply uh, enjoying, uh, in, a tremendous enjoyment uh, in the pursuit of apologetics, uh, because not only do you get to explain the world to the people around them, you get to glorify God, who's opened your eyes to this, and it's, again, just deeply satisfying. Uh, in fact, I'm going to take a listener question. I want Anthony to start since he has to leave very shortly, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. He doesn't really put us in a high level of priority here in Iron Trippin' Iron. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he's going to a Tupperware uh, meeting or something. But anyway. Uh, actually, I actually I rescheduled my aerobics class for 5 o'clock. So. <laughs> We have, I think, a first-time listener. His name is Brian from Denver, Colorado, and his question is, uh, how would you defend the sufficiency of Scripture and in a presuppositional way? I deal, a lot of, I deal with a lot of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses that believe in outside authority. Very, very interesting. Uh, and I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Jehovah's Witnesses would probably claim they believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, and of course they don't have an accurate translation, but they don't operate that way because Kingdom Hall uh, or the uh, Watchtower Bible and Tract Society is really like a Vatican uh, for that cult, even though they would never call it that. But, uh, Anthony, if you could start. Sure. Well, uh, we, we know that uh, Paul tells Timothy, uh, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, Reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, the scriptures themselves say that they are sufficient to edify you and teach you and train you. So, from a presuppositional standpoint, do we now put an authority over the scriptures? 
an authority that is not God-breathed over the Scriptures, or do the Scriptures, which are God-breathed, they're divine in nature, do, do those, um, are those preeminent, are those over and above the, uh, the outside leadership, okay, the, the, the authority. So really, it's a question of who, who has authority. Do the Scriptures have the authority? Or does this group, the, whatever they are, the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Roman Catholics, whatever they are, does that have the authority? Now, obviously, all of those other authorities are made up of men, okay? And men are fallible. Men are sinners. Uh, there's certainly uh, plenty of opportunities for us to get things wrong, and generally we do. Um, however, the scriptures we can fall back to because they're perfect. Again, being God-breathed, we know that they're inerrant. We know that they're infallible. So that is the one thing, those are the one things that we can go back to and point to and say they never change. Look at men and look at how their doctrines have changed over the course of time. Look at how many times the Jehovah's Witnesses have made false prophecies. Look at how many times, even right now, um, the Latter-day Saints, uh, they're changing their name, they're changing their doctrines. Certain things are evolving and, and moving forward as the culture changes. Uh, th this is right quick evidence to understand that if if the authority lies in the hands of man, it will change, because man is sinful at the core, his mind is stained by sin, his emotions, his will, everything is stained by sin. The scriptures are pure. Uh, I, I forget which psalm it is, uh, but the word of the Lord is settled in the heavens forever. So once we stand on the word of God, now we can start making sense of reality. If, let's say, uh, you or I had a, uh, a disagreement about a particular doctrine, do we go to an authority, uh, a man-made authority that's going to tell us whether we're right or wrong? No, we go back to the Scriptures. Now, God has set up pastors and teachers in place for us to glean from, but even those pastors and teachers, if they're good pastors and teachers, will admit that they could be wrong. Uh, so we ultimately have to go back to the Scriptures as our ultimate foundation for truth. So, I hope that helps. Well, do you have any words of farewell to say to our listeners before you depart and go on to some unessential activity? <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I just want to tell you, I appreciate your total depravity and, and to everybody on the radio. I, no. In all honesty, thank you so much, Sal, for, uh, for having us on. Uh, I really appreciate uh, everything that you do for, uh, for our church and for New York Apologetics and the Reform Rookie. Um, I hope to this Saturday be able to uh, proclaim some truth and see lives change. Uh, I'm really believing with guys like Eli and Ryan and Nick and the, the New York Apologetics team that we can turn Long Island right side up for Jesus. Um, it, we have a lot of strong Christians on this island, and I know that it's doable. I look at Long Island as a, a rudder to a big ship. You know, like James says, the rudder turns, you know, the smallest part of the ship, it turns the whole ship. I see Long Island potentially as a little rudder. Uh, if it moves in the right direction, maybe it can turn um, the direction of America. Maybe we can affect the city, and maybe maybe God can use the faithfulness of, of the people here um, to affect revival and reformation throughout our country. So, uh, again, your your show certainly is a a factor in helping us do that, to, to get this message uh, to many, many more people, uh, to get them access to the website, to get them access to the podcast, uh, to edify themselves, and ultimately open their mouth. You know, there's one scripture, and I'll, and I'll, I'll leave you with this. 
it's uh, Luke twenty three twenty three, and it's it, it's really uh, relevant today uh, because it says, "But they, meaning the Jews, were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed." So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. It is the voices that continually scream out against Christianity right now that are prevailing. And unfortunately, most of the church is taking the sitting down, not standing up, and, and voicing back to these people. We need people who are bold. The righteous are as bold as a lion. We need to stand on the truth of God's word, even if it causes physical harm or monetary harm, and proclaim the gospel back to these people and let our voices prevail. Remember, Jesus is the word made flesh. It's a word. And we speak that gospel, and God, uh, in, in the proclamation of that gospel, does miraculous things in people's minds and hearts. We can shape the world, we can change this island, if we proclaim the gospel and live out our faith daily. Amen. Well, God bless you, brother, and I look forward to seeing you at some point Thank in the near future. And uh, keep uh, pressing on for the glory of God. Amen. God bless you, brother. Thank you. And Thank you, Anthony. And don't go away, fo- don't go away, folks, because we are continuing this program uh, with Eli Ayala of Revealed Apologetics and the Historical Bible Society. We're going to be also joined by Ryan uh, Galan, and uh, so this is our longer. Um, welcome to the broadcast. And also, welcome for the very first time ever to Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, Ryan Galan. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on uh, with you today. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, why don't you tell us something about the Presbyterian Church of Islip, first of all, which is uh, an interesting church. I've known about that church as long as I've been a Christian. And probably even before that, just passing by, because since I used to live on Long Island and did so all of my life until I moved here to Pennsylvania five years ago, uh, a beautiful historic building there. And the thing that makes it unusual is that although it is in a liberal uh, denomination, the PCUSA, Presbyterian Church of the United States of America, uh, that congregation seems to have always, as far as I'm aware, had some kind of a connection to the evangelical and biblically faithful roots of the Presbyterian Church. Am I right on that? Um, yes, I believe you are right on that. Chris. I think, uh, um, I know that the, the pastor who's there now, his name is Pastor Colby Rhodes. Uh, he's a graduate of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He is uh, reformed in his theology, and he is biblically faithful as well. And so uh, I, I'm not too familiar with too much further as far as uh, further back in its history, but I do know the people there as well are uh, largely committed to the biblical faith as well. So, and you and you host or you have founded a ministry there, an apologetics ministry called Truth in Life. That's Truth, the letter N, Life. Tell us about that. Um, yeah. So uh, actually, I was a uh, I was a pastor here in. Uh, um, Long Island, New York, for a couple of years at a Center Point Church in Bayshore Campus. Um, and uh, during my time as a pastor there, one of the things that I just kept coming across is just the uh, very blatant inconsistency within uh, uh, Christianity, where, where, within Christians, when it came to living their lives according to what 
they believe. I found over and over again uh, people pro- professing faith with their mouth, but living in a way completely uh, contradictory towards uh, to that faith in their in their day to day lives. And so, uh, um, once I, I, I left Center Point Church, uh, uh, I began uh, attending uh, for a while here uh, now. It's been about a year or so. Uh, Presbyterian Church of Islip, and I, I wanted to just continue to serve in some way, and uh, my wife and I discussed, we figured it wasn't time for me to go back yet into pastoral ministry, but I did want to still uh, make sure that I was serving the body in some way, and we founded this ministry, uh, Truth in Life, where we just do some, uh, I write, I have some blogs out there, I do speaking, I still preach occasionally uh, um, throughout the area, and now we're starting these conferences. Um, all of it, uh, whether it's apologetics-related um, or not, all of it focused on just helping Christians live consistently, uh, uh, live their faith out consistently. Great. And the website of that ministry is truthnlife.net. Truth, the letter N, as in Nebraska, life.net. And uh, I hope that you look that up. And uh, I don't know if you're aware, but there are uh, a handful of other Biblically faithful PCUSA congregations out there on Long Island that you might want to uh, inform about your conference coming up because I know that the, the First Baptist Church of Babylon, Long Island, has a history of of having a connection with uh, the, the the true faith of the Scriptures in the historic Presbyterian uh, Church. I don't know if that is still the case, but I remember for many decades it, it had remained faithful, and we have the Presbyterian Church. I believe it's the First Presbyterian Church in Oyster Bay, Long Island, which is in the PCUSA, but also uh, one of the rare congregations that is biblically faithful and so on. So uh, perhaps you could reach out to them and let them know about what you're doing. Uh, Sounds great. We'll do that. And uh, before I go on to another matter, I wanted to give Eli Ayala of uh, Revealed Apologetics and also the Historical Bible Society. I wanted to give him an opportunity, if indeed you'd like to say something, in addition to what Anthony had has already said, uh, in response to our our listener Brian in Denver, Colorado, uh, about using presuppositionalism to defend the inerrancy of Scripture, or the sufficiency, I'm sorry, of Scripture. Do you have anything further to add on that? Yeah, it seems to me that when you ask the question, how can we defend the sufficiency of Scripture presuppositionally, that that's just basically uh, defending the sufficiency of Scripture while using the Scripture. And so that's precisely what I would do. I would use the Scripture to defend its own sufficiency. And I think you can do that. Um, and a helpful resource is just to pick up books that go into the defense, the biblical defense of of the sufficiency of Scripture and things that are related to perhaps, say, something like Sola Scriptura and things like that. Um, and so when when I heard the question, I was just thinking, that's just kind of just asking someone, how do you defend the sufficiency of Scripture while using the Scripture? And you just got to know what the Bible says about itself, what is the nature of Scripture, and how does the nature of Scripture affect how we defend Scripture, what role does it play um, in how it's evaluated. Um, so... I think you could defend uh, the sufficiency of Scripture using scriptural principles that are within the text of Scripture uh, itself. And so how one might go about doing that would require you to study um, just what the Bible says about itself and then apply that in your discussions with the with the other person. 
Okay, here's a question for both of you. It's also from Brian of Denver, Colorado. That is, uh, I think, uh, th this obviously we could have weeks and months of programs on this one subject, but it's very timely. Uh, what do you believe is the best way to outreach to the LGBT community? Preach the gospel. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, now, that involves some other things. It involves the fact that, unfortunately, those who claim to be in that so-called community, uh, I don't like calling it a community because that's just giving credence to what they are, uh, but they have become more, more sophisticated in actually twisting the scripture to make it seem to the naive and the biblically illiterate that the scriptures are actually condoning and even perhaps celebrating this kind of behavior. Um, if you could, perhaps we'll start this time with Ryan, since he hasn't uh, had much to say. Ryan, how do you react when somebody who either professes to be a homosexual or they're just your average run-of-the-mill liberal who believes that uh, we who are Christians, or at least Bible-believing, uh, historic, uh, truly faithful disciples of Christ, that we are that we are nothing but tyrants and bigots and hateful people trying to uh, throw a bucket of cold water on these people and prevent them from enjoying life, uh, seeking uh, romance and love with the same sex, uh, and that's the way they were born, and therefore that's the way they should have the freedom to live. Uh, and they will say that uh, they they have uh, they have references and resources of very knowledgeable Christians and theologians who defend them in their their lifestyle quote quote. So how, how do you respond to that kind of rhetoric? Yeah, well, uh, first, Chris, I just want to say thank you for, uh, throwing me the, the softball on my first. <laughs> 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 um, but, uh, no. Uh, no, that's perfectly, uh, perfectly okay. But there was, there was, uh, there is a lot in there. Uh, so I, I think the way that I would, um, approach this first, if I was dealing with someone who claimed to profess faith, the first thing that we're going to do is go to the scriptures. Um, you know, you, without, you, there's no need to, uh, appeal to any outside authority if we both appeal to the scriptures as our ultimate authority. Um, and so we're, we're gonna, we're gonna go to the scriptures. We're gonna look at what, um, God has clearly said. Uh, we'll look at even those so-called, you know, clobber passages, uh, where, uh, homosexuality is, is clearly stated as, uh, as a sin. Um, what God has declared is, you know, as far as what is the prescription for marriage, with uh, it being between one man, one uh, one woman for one lifetime, and we're gonna we're gonna work through those, and we're gonna uh, uh, we're gonna discuss those, and um, I want to get at those underlying assumptions also. Why why does one believe that uh, um, you know you you have this right to that that God made you this way, therefore you have this right to to live out your wildest fantasies. Where where is that in scripture? Uh, um, you know that that you, where, where is it say that um, that because you have a desire for something that therefore you're entitled to it? Um, you know none of that is is found in scripture. So so 
So again, I'd want to walk through all those, uh, um, all those, uh, uh, you know, uh, all those presuppositions that are being brought in here, um, and and show how they. First of all, they're they're clearly um, not in scripture, and that which we find in scripture is very very clearly against most of that. Um, and and then point them back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is you know ultimately we we are to repent, we are to turn from our sin, turn from uh, um, that which doesn't bring God glory, and trust in him. And that means that uh, though we might have desires that are not natural, uh, desires that are not good, um, we fight those desires. We don't submit to those desires if we've been born again, if we've been made that new creation in Christ, and we are to die to those fleshly desires. And so, you know, I, I think just with, as with anything, when it comes to whether it's someone with uh, LGBTB, whatever, ABC, whatever, uh, whether it's that or something else, another uh, sinful tendency, we're going to deal with those things the same. I think w- one of the things, for, for me at least anyway, that I have a, a hard time with is um, this idea that somehow we have to create a whole new category now for dealing with that specific thing. Right. Um, I, I find that's false. <laughs> um, it, it's a sin, as you know, uh, uh, it, it, and it is. It, it, if anything, I, I think when it comes to that, what we see is it's, it, it's a sin of a different category in, in the fact that it's dealing with that which is specifically um, against God's natural created order. Right, um, uh, and that also so, makes it unique. Yeah, so. That that also makes it unique in that uh, heterosexual sin, which will also send you to hell without the blood of Christ covering you is a different category of sin nonetheless, because it is an abuse of yeah. a gift, a gift of God. It's a, the, the sex drive and sexual attraction to the opposite gender is a gift of God. It's a, it's a part of the natural order that he created, whereas homosexuality is not only a sin, uh, it is always an abuse uh, of, exactly. of sexuality. It is never appropriate in any circumstances, whether it remains in your mind or whether it's acted out physically. It's always a damnable behavior and desire. Yes, 100%. Now, uh, perhaps, Eli, you could jump in here. Uh, I'll I'll continue a non-controversial thread here. (laughs) But but, uh, something that uh, Ryan touched on, it has become increasingly uncomfortable and disturbing to me is that there is a growing number of professedly conservative bible believing evangelicals who who uh what's the word i'm looking for they they approach the sin of homosexuality with an extra level of tenderness and uh, sweet talk, where they are—they're actually portraying in some ways these people purely as victims, and mm-hmm. th- they, that they are not responsible for their behavior. And there is even a group within—and and please, I'm not broad brushing the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America. I have many 
pastor friends and congregant friends in that denomination. But out of that denomination, it's not solely out of that denomination, but there there are professing Bible-believing Christians who say they believe in the biblical inerrancy and so on, and who will say that they even believe in the prohibitions to acting out physically with homosexuality, who nonetheless call themselves gay Christian. And some of them would even say there are things uniquely attached to the homosexual movement that are applaudable, and things that should, uh, and this is a, a, a smaller category of people in that group, but that there are things that should be maintained in evangelical life that are uniquely present in the homosexual community. This is really a horrible and dangerous and deadly direction, isn't it? Uh, for sure. I think Ryan adequately addressed the question, and, and if we can just put this within the framework of a presuppositional approach, which stands on the firm foundation of the Word of God, if I were debating with an atheist, uh, there is a biblical principle, for example. I'm going to try to make application with the issue of homosexuality. There's a principle in Scripture that's uh, laid out for us in the book of Proverbs, where it says, uh, Answer not the fool according to his folly, lest you become a fool like unto him. And then the next verse says, uh, Answer the fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his... Uh, I'm sorry, lest he be wise in his own conceit. So there's this principle of answering the fool and not answering the fool. And with the presuppositional outlook here, which I think is helpful, is that we are not to answer the fool according to his folly, lest we be a fool like unto him. Because if we adopt their uh, their assumptions, then we will be reduced to foolishness. But there is an instance in which we hypothetically grant their foolishness to show the foolishness and absurdity of their own position. And in like fashion, when we're speaking with people who claim to affirm the Bible, then what do we do? We don't affirm the truth of their perspective, which we know is clearly unbiblical. But let's hypothetically grant, okay, well, you think the Bible supports this position. And so what do we do? As, as, um, as Ryan just um, expressed, we go to the Scriptures. You know, we utilize the standard. And just because people claim that the Bible supports one thing or the other, I mean, you can't just get away with making that claim. Obviously, you need to engage in meaningful exegesis, and that's usually where uh, these folks crumble when you actually deal with the specific text. And I think uh, various Christian apologists have done a great job exposing that, uh, one of which is Dr. White. Uh, whatever people think of Dr. White, I think he does an excellent job exposing really the superficiality of uh, the attempt at exegesis to support um, homosexuality from within a Christian uh, framework. And I think another helpful thing, too, to make a um, good apologetics application is this idea that we're, you know, we're born this way. Now, quite frankly, when people say that, well, I was born gay, um, you know, or when someone asks me a question, you know, what happens when someone says I was born this way? I think we need to be very careful not to be bogged down with um, the details of whether someone is in fact born that way or not. Right, right, I agree with you. From within the Christian perspective, right, because from within the Christian perspective, it's, it's quite irrelevant. The Bible says we were born in sin, right? and so my natural inclination is to disobey God. And so the fact that I'm born a certain way does not justify my acting in accordance with those things. Right. I, I, I was at one time vehemently opposed to any concept of a person's claim that they were born with homosexual attraction. And although I agree wholeheartedly with Vody Balcom that, uh, that there is no organic connection or biological connection to a person being born homosexual, because we believe, as Calvinists especially, 
that somebody's born and conceived, actually, totally depraved, why would that be a different sin out of what would be expected from someone who is depraved? And that, but at the same time, as you were saying, we can never use that as an excuse. Uh, just like if somebody's born with a proclivity to murder someone, uh, he's born with a proclivity to violence. Uh, that doesn't mean we should allow them to do it and tolerate it, right? Right, but I, I think another another fallacious aspect of that line of reasoning, if the argument is that because I was born this way, that some you know that somehow means that it's okay, then suppose I kind of turned that around on them. Well, I was born naturally to be inclined to find homosexuality repugnant. Right. You should have no objection of me trying to condemn homosexuality as a viable lifestyle and a, a lifestyle that's in conformity with some kind of objective, moral, morally good standard. So uh, I think there's a problem when adopting that kind of methodology, and I think uh, presuppositional apologetics specifically does this well. Gra- grant the unbeliever, or grant the um, the you know the, the the Christian you know person who calls himself a Christian, grant them those standards and show the absurdity of where that leads. Um, again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't talk about these things, and if people are born that way, you know, how should we deal? with Those are all important issues. But let us not pretend that the Bible supports that kind of lifestyle and that just because we're born a certain way that that somehow, um, you know, justifies and vindicates, you know, acting out those proclivities. Great. And uh, we are going to our final break. If you want to send us in a question, send it in now because we're running out of time. And uh, we will get to those of you who are waiting to have their questions asked and answered uh, as soon as possible. And our email address is chrisarnson at gmail.com. chrisarnson at gmail.com. Don't go away. We will be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Welcome back. This is Chris Arnzen, and this is our final segment today with Eli Ayala and Ryan Galan. And if you'd like to join us on the air with a question of your own, do so quickly because we're almost out of time. Chris Arnzen at gmail.com. Uh, I'd like you both basically to wrap up why you each believe that every Christian needs to be a theologian and apologist. That does not mean that every Christian needs to or even should go to seminary. It doesn't mean that we all have to become these brilliant New Testament Greek scholars and Hebrew scholars, but we do have a responsibility uh, before God to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. So if you could please, uh, we'll start with Eli, if you could give us a summary of why you think this is important. Yeah, uh, quite simply, theology is the study of God. So if you're a Christian, you're asking the question, why do I think Christians study God? <laughs> well, how else would we know about God if we do not avail ourselves of the revelation of himself that he's given us, uh, both in the natural order and in the Bible? And so I think uh, the fact that every Christian should be a theologian is just a necessary outflow of what it means to be a Christian and reflect about God both intellectually and engage God relationally. They're, they're, they're necessarily intertwined. And I think we should all be apologists because the Bible commands us to be apologists. If we're Christians and we affirm the Christ of Scripture, uh, the same Christ who inspired Scripture through the Holy Spirit, then... Apologetics is a necessary outflow from that because God in his word commands us that we are to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in us, yet doing so with gentleness and respect. So I think it's something that's mandated by Scripture, and if we're going to be committed to Scripture, we should in some way, shape, or form engage in those activities. And Ryan? Um, yeah, you know, I think uh, Eli hit 
pretty much everything. The only thing that I would um, just kind of put alongside that is, uh, you know, as Christians, we believe Jesus is Lord, um, that he's uh, Lord of this universe, that he's Lord over every everything, and that includes uh, our lives, and that we are, you know, are to live our lives in submission to him, and that means um, we, we live according to what he's, he's said clearly in his word. And one of those things is to be prepared to give uh, uh, you know, a reason for the hope that is within us. And so, uh, uh, again, apologetics is, uh, um, we're told to be apologists by, uh, um, you know, by, uh, by God, and so therefore, as Christians submitted to the will of God, we, we should seek to honor him by doing what he's told us to do. Um, you can't be in a relationship with someone you don't know. So that, that answers the theology portion, I think. Right. Uh, uh, so, yeah, that's all I would add. Yeah, and I, I, I know people who listen to the show must think that I absolutely uh, worship James White to an idolatrous level, but I can't help but think of another thing that he said in relation to this. Uh, he said, could you imagine uh, if you are married and you don't know what color your wife's eyes are. You have no idea what her favorite foods are and what foods she dislikes. You have no idea what kind of music she enjoys and what kind of music that she dislikes. And you could go on and on. That would be a sign you don't really love this woman. <laughs> you really haven't invested any time to learn anything about her. And it's even infinitely more important and infinitely more true when it comes to God. If we don't even bother to investigate in his inerrant, God-breathed words, who he is, what he expects from us, what he prohibits, the history of his people, and all the details about his Son, the person and work of Jesus Christ, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we, uh, it's just a sign we don't love him. Am I right? Yes, sir. I would agree with that. Yeah. Well, uh, before we go, I want I want you both to at least uh, very quickly uh, tell us, in summary form, what they should expect at this conference this Saturday. Uh, Eli, if you could start. Uh, ah, okay. Um, well, uh, just as the title of the conference uh, suggests, we're going to be talking about the importance of having a Christian foundation in doing apologetics. And so uh, the various speakers, uh, Anthony, uh, Ryan, and myself, will be covering different aspects of that. I can speak uh, most specifically to my own topic. I will be uh, presenting, really, once Anthony and Ryan lay the foundation, I'm going to be presenting the practical ways in which we could actually do apologetics. Like, what does that all look like? So whereas Anthony and Ryan will be talking more about the theory, I will be touching on the practical application. So what does it look like? to defend the faith against, say, an atheist or a Muslim or or whichever perspective, you know, one might um, think of. So we're going to be covering things like that. And Ryan, anything to add about the structure and, uh, and also whether our listeners know how to register and so forth? Absolutely. So, the, uh, so the, the, there, there will be worship. We're going to be starting with uh, uh, some, uh, some singing right at 9. Um, and then, like Eli already said, there'll be three talks. And we're going to kind of be building up, whereas I'm going to start by looking at First uh, Peter three fourteen and fifteen, and just showing how uh, this idea of developing a Christ-centered defense is biblical. It's not something that we just kind of came up with um, on a whim. And then uh, Anthony speaking more to uh, logic, and and then Eli giving us some more practical application. There's going to be lunch also, 
Uh, we're going to have pizza there, so we'll be taking a break, and then there'll be some time for Q&A. Um, and so if, if you're interested in this, you can uh, register by uh, going to truthinlife.net. Uh, tr- the word truth, the letter N is in November, life.net. Go to the events page there and click, and you can register for our event there. We look forward to seeing you. Great. That's this Saturday, uh, and this is at the Presbyterian Church of Islip, New York, this Saturday, November 16th, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And don't forget, folks, the websites that are involved in our guest today, uh, Anthony Uvino, uh, the NewYorkApologetics.com, NewYorkApologetics.com, and also ReformedRookie.com, ReformedRookie.com. Eli Ayala, please repeat how our listeners could get in touch with you. Uh, yes, uh, they can look me up on Facebook, Revealed Apologetics. They can download my podcast, um, Revealed Apologetics, on iTunes. And they can email me questions that I will uh, make podcast episodes out of or perhaps uh, make videos in response. Um, they can email me at revealedapologetics at gmail.com. And just as a quick aside, I'm actually, I was actually invited to speak at St. Joseph College in Patchogue, New York. Um, and that's at 10 wow. p.m. Um, at the... Um, well, I guess it's the, the theater, the theater uh, auditorium. So that's at 6 p.m. It's being put on by uh, Basic, which is the Christian club that is there. Um, and they're expecting well over 200, 300 people maybe. So um, I think it's free. You just walk in and, uh, you know, I'll be giving a talk on apologetics there as well. Praise God. And don't forget Dan Buttafuoco's Historical Bible Society, where Eli serves as an apologist. Historicalbiblesociety.org, historical. BibleSociety.org. And once again, Ryan, your contact information. Uh, yes, you can find me at truthandlife.net. Again, I spelled it out, truth, and as in November, life.net. Um, or you can email me at truthandlife.net at gmail.com. Those are the easiest ways to get a hold of me. Or at, uh, at gmail.com. Right. I want to thank both of you for doing such a superb job today. I look forward to having you both back on the show. I want to thank everybody who listened, especially those who took the time to write in questions. I want you all to always remember for the rest of your lives that Jesus Christ is a far greater Savior than you are a sinner. You have been listening to the Reformed Rookie Podcast, where we aim to teach Reformed theology to beginners or rookies. Be sure to look us up on the web at www.reformedrookie.com, where you will find many more learning tools and aids to help you grow in your understanding of all things Reformed. And remember, Semper Reformanda. Dr. Luther, are you prepared to retract these writings? In some, I discuss faith and good works. If I were to retract these, I should be denying accepted Christian truths. Martin Luther, you have not yet answered the question. Will you recant, or will you not? Here it is. I am bound to my beliefs by the texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen.